0: One woman in MK Ultra had to be taught afterwards how to go to the toilet again. So wiped had her mind been by these crazies, these insane people that are running our world. And a lot of the MK Ultra operation was uh, run by Nazis from Nazi Germany, who uh, at the end of the war through something called Operation Paperclip were helped to escape out of Germany and they ended up in the United States. I've spoken over the years to many people who came out of MKUltra and uh, its elite project offshoot known as Project Monarch and most of them didn't come out because they were killed or their, their minds were completely broken, deleted. But those I've spoken to have told a very compellingly common and multiply supporting account of MK Ultra Project Monarch and um, what happened to them.
1: Hello everyone, and welcome to the fourth episode of this Reading David Icke series, where I'll be looking at some of the themes that emerge in David's tenth book, I Am Me, I Am Three, The Robot's Guide to Freedom. This is the book where David decided to appear naked on the front cover. This expression of freedom is a shot at the religious conditioning surrounding the body. He found it strange that his doodah, his term, not mine, had to be covered with a sticker for the book to be displayed in shops. David takes it as a sign of our collective immaturity that people are offended by such things, and not just that they don't want to see his doodah on display. But anyway, enough about this. Well, actually, just one more observation. I do wonder if, in addition to being a statement, David is further conditioning himself to become immune from public ridicule here, given that he's about to go to places far more radical than ever before. I Am Me, I Am Free is, as the title indicates, principally a spiritual book. David's previous two works have been roughly 90% conspiratorial and around 10% spiritual. Here, that ratio roughly reverses. I'll read a short passage from the beginning to give you a flavour of this spirituality. So who the hell are you then? What lies behind those eyes? When you look in the mirror, what do you see? Do you see the real you, or what you have been conditioned to believe is you? The two are so, so different. One is an infinite consciousness, capable of being and creating whatever it chooses. The other is an illusion, imprisoned by its own perceived and programmed limitations. Which of these you's is controlling your life? Infinity. Or limitation, self-love or self-disdain, freedom of thought or a prison of the mind. Much of the book expands upon this, exploring how our conditioned thoughts create our reality and how we can break free. It's essentially the same message David delivered in Heal the World. It's lovely, uplifting, positive and inspiring stuff which we're not going to focus on at all. Instead I'm going to look at the 10% devoted to darkness, particularly the chapter titled The Depths of Evil. It's an interesting choice of chapter title, given that David rejects the notion of evil as an actual thing, positing that we are all part of one, infinite, all loving field of consciousness. He seems to feel that when discussing the depths of depravity, rather, to not use the word evil is a kind of injustice to its victims. I happen to agree with this wholeheartedly. He writes that, In my years of speaking and writing about these spiritual and conspiratorial subjects, I have resisted the use of the word evil. Even now, I emphasize that what we call evil is an extreme negative imbalance in consciousness, and people in that mode can and do change. Evil is not forever. It is for as long as those minds choose to stay in the state of being. But in the light, or rather dark, of what I am about to outline, the feel of that word seems so appropriate. Indeed, we are talking the very depths of evil. What affected David so strongly he felt the need for that word? Specifically, he's writing about the CIA's MKUltra project.
2: Between the years of 1957 and 1984, I became a pawn in a government scheme His ultimate goal was mind control and to create the perfect spy. All for the use of chemicals, radiation, drugs, hypnosis, electric shock, isolation in tubs of water, sleep deprivation, brainwashing, verbal, physical, emotional, and sexual abuse. I was exploited unwittingly for nearly three decades of my life, and the only explanations given to me were that, quote, the end justifies the means, And, quote, I was serving my country in their bold effort to fight communism. I can only summarize my circumstances by saying they took an already abused seven-year-old child and compounded my suffering beyond belief. The saddest part is, I know for a fact that I was not alone. There were countless other children in my same situation.
1: Project MKUltra was a CIA program which aimed at nothing less than attaining human mind control. It arose in the post-World War II era, under a justification of needing to stay ahead of the Russians and Chinese, the communist octopus, in this field. It was influenced by the experiments of Nazi scientists, brought to the US as part of the infamous Operation Paperclip. At its most mundane level, the program was intended to find ways to both break enemy spies in interrogation, as well as making CIA assets unbreakable through compartmentalizing information in their minds. To this end, drugs such as LSD were heavily experimented with, often without the knowledge or consent of the involuntary participants. Beyond this, there were attempts to use hypnosis to create a mind-controlled assassin, what became popularly known as a Manchurian candidate after Richard Condon's 1959 novel. Such an assassin would have no knowledge of their mission, until activated by a trigger word, then immediately forget it as soon as the job was done. Opinions vary greatly on the success of this whole project. Many researchers have concluded all these efforts came to little effect. CAA scientists became very good at breaking human minds, but could not put them back together again in any desired fashion. Others believe that the program was far more successful, and point to figures like Sirhan Sirhan, and Mark David Chapman, the ostensible murderers of Robert Kennedy and John Lennon, respectively, as being examples of real mind-controlled assassins. Surhan has famously always claimed to have no recollection of shooting RFK. Still others contend that MKUltra was turned on the population in an attempt at mass mind-control. This connects with the CIA's Operation Chaos, a kind of sister program to the FBI's COINTELPRO, which sought to disrupt the Black Power and anti-war movements of the 1960s. There's a very good case that the Manson murders were a part of this. Unabomber Ted Kaczynski was also a part of a distressing psychological study, likely an aspect of MKUltra. The real conspiracists contend that MKUltra found its way into the education system and popular culture, preparing the population for acceptance of the New World Order. Officially, the program was brought to an end in 1973, when then-CIA Director Richard Helms destroyed the incriminating files. This allowed those involved to play down their activities during investigations into CIA malfeasance in the mid-70s. Some 20,000 documents survived, however, and it's estimated we may know about a third of what went on. What isn't in doubt is the horrendous nature of the project. It destroyed countless innocent lives in Nazi-style human experiments. These weren't carried out in secret underground CIA labs either. They went on, often openly, at universities, hospitals and prisons around the country. The previous clip I played was of a lady called Claudia Mullen, testifying in 1995 at the Presidential Advisory Committee on Human Radiation Experiments. I'll play another clip, this one from a Karen Wetmore, to illustrate the nature of the program further. In 1965, Karen
3: Wetmore was only 13 when she was admitted to a hospital in Vermont. She stayed there several times in her childhood. She suffered from severe depression after falling victim to a pedophile neighbor. Admitted against her will, she was not allowed any contact with her family, being told that it was for her own good.
4: The CIA was specifically looking for children between the ages of 13 and 18 to further dissociate. They wanted dissociative children. There's a sense of, of absolute and total helplessness. You're there. You're bound up. You're locked in this room. No matter how you scream, no matter what you say, no one is going to come. It, it does something to you, something you don't get over
3: the doctors went to work on Karen. They wanted to erase her memory and create a robot at their command. It took 30 years of legal battles for Karen to obtain her medical records and discover the violence of the treatments she was subjected to.
4: It says seclusion, full cam. A cam is a straitjacket. And ties, which means they tied my arms and they tied my feet. This... Goes on uninterrupted day after day, week after week, February, March, April, right up until June 21st, 1971. You sleep on the floor, on the floor, no blanket, no nothing. And my arms were secured like this behind my back. I do remember that. It's extremely painful because it pulls on your neck, pulls on your shoulder. You can't get away from it. It, it is, it's maddening is what it is, maddening, and I was naked, and I think that was part of the effort of that experiment to break me down. Everything they did was to break me down.
3: Months in a confined room with no bearings, while her captors administered all kinds of drugs and sometimes electric shocks at inhuman levels.
4: number of shocks and the seconds that they held the shocks, they 30, 30, 35, 35, 35, and they held it for, f- sustained for 40 seconds. A normal shock would be a second, not certainly not, and certainly not 30 and 35 of them, one, not that many, which probably is what obliterated my memory right there. And I think that's the way they did it, I think that's the way they did it. They also said, in this treatment right here, no seizure, shock restarted. So they gave me a second one because they couldn't produce a seizure. So they must have done it over again, must have repeated it. It's unforgivable. And I'm sure I wasn't the only one they did this to. I'm sure. I survived to be able to talk about it.
3: how many suffered similar experiments. In Montreal, Canada, the CIA used a world-renowned psychiatrist to set up a factory of guinea pigs in the Allen Memorial Psychiatric Department in McGill University. This psychiatrist was Ewan Cameron, one of the all-powerful presidents of the World Psychiatric Association. In 1945, Ewan Cameron made the acquaintance of Rudolf Hess, one of the Nazis accused in the Nuremberg trial. In 1957, the CIA recruited him for their MK Ultra program. The Americans wanted to perfect their interrogation techniques and program a human to kill. Ewan Cameron became the mad dog of psychiatry. He put his patients in vegetative states for several weeks while bombarding them with pre-recorded orders. Some would become incontinent, amnesiac, forgetting even who their parents were and how to speak. The Vermont hospital where Karen Wetmore was confined was working on the same program. In the hands of the CIA doctors, she was like a rag doll.
4: They used drugs like LSD, they used electric shock, they used chemical shock agent metrazole which I was given in, in 1971 and I found that out in my medical records. Um, which is a very brutal drug, very brutal drug. Um, CIA said it was excruciating, physically and emotionally, excruciating drug. Um, they, I have a quote from the CIA that said um, that the Soviet used, Soviets used it in the gulags, and that a POW would say or do anything to avoid a second dose. <laughs> nice drug. gave me 1800 milligrams uh, which apparently is a huge dose and that night I was complaining of hearing men inside my head which was bothering me and upsetting me and um, I tried to set myself on fire
3: the imagination of the scientists is limitless in these images a bull charges at a cape shaken in front of him a few moments later An implant is placed in his brain, and he's released back into the ring. At each charge, he receives a shock that stops him in his tracks. Documents that are now declassified show that more sophisticated implants were tested on human subjects.
5: There's all kinds of people who believe and people who don't believe, and it's a debate about do you believe or don't believe. I'm always interested in what are in the documents saying. So the documents clearly describe implanting electrodes in people's brains, activating the electrode from a remote transmitter, and changing the person's behavior from angry, pounding the wall, sitting there just staring.
3: Behind Karen's ear is a scar, and she doesn't know what it's from. Once my therapist really
4: understood that I had really been experimented on, by the CIA, um, she said to me, uh, you know, just for the heck of it, let me look. Because we'd heard about, we'd read about, there, there's been information about these implants. And I'm like, okay. And it was there, actually there. There's a. I showed you. Um, I went to a plastic surgeon who told me it was a surgical scar. But there's nothing in my medical history, nothing in a medical record that that shows any kind of problem ever uh, behind my right ear or any incision or any surgery or anything else. But there it is.
3: Karen has been compensated by the American government for her ordeal. But like many rare victims who speak up, for a long time, she was considered crazy.
1: Whilst MKUltra is no longer a secret, I think it's fair to say it hasn't received the media attention it deserves, given that most people will be shocked to find a branch of the United States government had performed the kind of human experiments you've just heard described. David Icke was writing about MKUltra as far back as 1994 in The Robots' Rebellion. This was as part of his wider research into the Great Conspiracy. At that time, he wrote... Mind control goes back to the ancient brotherhood mystery schools and beyond. The Nazis were perfecting it before and during the war, and so were the American agencies which became the CIA. The CIA and British intelligence were funding tests into LSD and similar drugs in the 1950s and 60s, and some horrendous experiments have been done in state prisons and psychiatric institutions involving children as well as adults. Don't let them kid you the Nazis had a monopoly on such things. Anything they did, the good guys, are also doing in the lands of freedom and justice. Wherever he may end up, David Icke always starts in an area where he is presenting both true and unusual information. Information that makes you rethink what you believe you know about the world. One of the consequences of MKUltra coming to light in the mid-70s was massive numbers of people stepping forward, believing they might have been victims. Journalist John Marks, who wrote The Search for the Manchurian Candidate, the first book examining the surviving documents of the project, stepped back from this work due to being inundated with such people. The stories they tell range from the horrific but entirely plausible and verifiable in court, to the plausible but unverifiable, to what seem like highly implausible. Naturally, David Icke gravitates to the extreme end of this spectrum, I'm certainly not saying he's wrong to do this, I'm simply observing that he does. At this time, David became influenced by the writing of a lady called Kathy O'Brien, who authored a famous book called Transformation of America. In her 30s, Miss O'Brien recovered memories of having been a part of the MKUltra program, which included being used as a sex slave for various presidents, a courier to pass messages between world leaders, and, along with her daughter, Hunted for Sport by George Bush and Bill Clinton. Let's listen to some excerpts from her recent documentary film,
6: My name is Kathy O'Brien, and I'm a survivor of MKUltra mind control, specifically the CIA's Project Monarch aspect, which is a multi-generational study that they were doing and use of multi-generational incest-based children. My father's sexual abuse expanded into child pornography, and he was sending this child pornography of me through the U.S. mails. And it was, he was caught, the pornography was confiscated by a criminal faction of our government. The local politician approached my father and told him that he would receive immunity from prosecution if he would sell me in too the CIA's MK-Ultra Project Monarch. My father had a sixth grade education, had earned his living as a worm digger. We were very, very dirt poor. But when he sold me into the project, he eventually went on to become a multimillionaire with government contracts. So already we're seeing how this was a structured system within a corrupt faction of our government that not only was um, targeting children like myself, but sanctioning the abuse through the court system, granting my father immunity from prosecution. As soon as my father sold me into the project, he was flown to Boston, Massachusetts, where the Catholic faction, the Jesuit faction of, of Project Monarch was um, being run by cardinal law. My father was trained by cardinal law on how to raise me in the project. This included human trafficking. It wasn't called human trafficking back then. It was just being prostituted out to all the local politicians, the policemen, the, all the pedophile priests that were involved in my area. And those who were part of my grandfather's Blue Masonic Lodge. The Blue Masonic Lodge is where all the politicians came together and were actively part of making the plans for MK Ultra mind control. I was exposed to the governor of Michigan, George Romney, and I was taken to Mackinac Island, Michigan, to meet with him, to be prostituted to various government leaders, including Canadian Prime Minister at the time, Pierre Trudeau. I was also exposed to who would become my owner in MKUltra, U.S. Senator Robert C. Byrd. Byrd was up there discussing various ways that they could expand mind control into the population. And he and George Romney uh, discussed the ways that they could put it into the education system. Senator Byrd as head of appropriations has set it up where the states became dependent upon the federal government for funding for the education system. They had a plan for manipulating the minds of the children through altering their knowledge base. Information control is a form of mind control, which is why they were so interested in taking over the education system, and why they were interested in taking over the media. An ex- extremely traumatizing MK Ultra mind control um, experience that that I've had was. The most dangerous game of human hunting, no matter what the weather, you know I didn't have any any clothes and was turned loose in a woods and then literally hunted by men with guns and never knowing whether or not I would actually be shot. they used hunting dogs to to track, which was really really traumatic and of course it was it was kind of designed to where there's no place to run, no place to hide, because there was no way to get away from them. And it was at one of those human hunting places that I saw George Bush Jr. hunted just as I was. And his, his own father and Dick Cheney were a part of extreme trauma base for him, because they were creating a Manchurian candidate. Who would become president? Go on. It was absolutely horrible that anybody was being hunted. And I've always had extreme compassion for George Bush Jr. It was an effort to be able to keep all the power in the Bush Clinton dynasties. I thought the whole world was saturated with this kind of criminal activity. Everything around me was involved in it. The the handlers and the owners of the mind control slaves, there were so many of them that they actually had um, a charm school that trained the girls or guys for various sexual perversions and fulfilling them on high levels of government. We were also used for blackmailing purposes with these kind of extreme perversions. They were like strategically hidden cameras in, in the ceilings and in the walls that would, that would film the, the perverse acts. And then the politicians, or whomever, the various world leaders were then blackmailed into compliance with the New World Order through all these videotapes. One place where they had a lot of cameras and perversions set up just specifically for this was Bohemian Grove. At the Grove, when girls reached age 30, they were they were murdered or they were sacrificed because at age 30 There's electrochemical changes that happen in the brain where people, sometimes those neuron pathways start changing a little bit and memory starts leaking out. We'll see where people who have been programmed specifically that are high profile, like maybe in the entertainment industries, they will start breaking up around age 30. We'll see things like what Britney Spears shaving their head. It's just part of what happens around that age. So many government secrets and personal reputations were staked on the belief that I could never think to bring to mind, to tell their secrets, that I would never be deprogrammed to remember the things I'd been programmed to forget. It was horrific knowing that so many lives were lost, so many girls, when they reached age 30. And of course, so often for the perversion purposes, they were saying that that the girls were too old to be used anymore for perversion anyway. So, you know, they were useless, just get rid of them. And I was definitely going to be killed there as well. I was to go out in a blaze of glory and be, be burned alive.
1: I don't think we can understate the influence that Kathy O'Brien and other people with similar stories had on David Icke. This is where we have to try and see things from David's point of view. After becoming convinced that a vast global conspiracy is taking place, and finding out about the MKUltra program, he is confronted by many, many people telling him consistent stories of being used as sex slaves by members of the global elite. What you heard there were just a few short clips from an hour-and-twenty-minute documentary. Imagine watching the whole thing, then listening to hours of interviews with Miss O'Brien, and hours more of men and women with similar stories. Then imagine reading dozens of books on this topic. Then meeting these victims and spending time with them. Perhaps they are nice, compelling people. Perhaps their sincerity shines through, the pain in their eyes as they describe their abuse. They certainly believe they're telling the truth. And wouldn't it actually make more sense if world leaders were that consciously evil, given the murderous actions we know they engage in? If you reflect upon this, and it does take reflection, I think you can see why David Icke was won over and catapulted into a world distant from the one most of us occupy. Most people I know who are aware of Cathy O'Brien's story either dismiss it as being too far-fetched or resign themselves to just not knowing. Maybe it's true. Maybe it's a mixture of truth and false memory. Maybe it's all just a fantasy. David doesn't work like this. He's too decisive. When he becomes convinced Kathy O'Brien is telling the truth, he feels a moral obligation to shout it from the rooftops. And he did, forever after having no hesitation in declaring George Bush to be a pedophile.
5: In terms of Father George Bush,
1: He's making sound far quite higher, friendly there, the Father George front. Bush. He sounds all right, like a Saint Nicholas figure. Yeah,
5: Father George Bush. Yeah, he sounds benign when you say it, but if you knew his background, it would turn
1: your stomach. It does actually, because I know he's involved in oil and bombs and all sorts of silly sodding. Yeah, and, and
5: and children. Yeah, children, uh, which I've exposed in my books in great detail. Well, say
1: that. Say that on the radio. That sounds bonkers. Go on, David. I'm not, I'm not being dismissive. What, what, what George Bush and children? What?
5: Oh, he's he's a notorious paedophile, Father George. Bush. Wow.
1: There we go. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So obviously not the views of the BBC. I obviously have to say that, David. You would be aware that oh, yeah, that's my It wouldn't have to be stress. the view of the BBC.
5: But, um, <laughs> actually, no, I've, no, been, I've just uh, looked at the guidelines. That is the views I've been of the BBC. Uh, this for 20 years. And, uh, and uh, I, I've uh, written about it in great detail in my books. And, mm. uh, yeah, absolutely.
1: What David lets go of, in my opinion, is the opposite possibility. Could he be meeting people with mental health problems? People who have not actually recovered repressed memories but rather conjured up false ones through hypnosis. This takes us into one of the most controversial topics we could explore, and one that I would suggest remains unresolved in the public mind to this day. Do human beings repress memories of traumatic events, or are we instead all too good at conflating memory and fantasy? I say this is unresolved in the public mind. As an example of this, Netflix have released two documentaries in recent years, adopting opposite positions. 2017's The Keepers explored the recovered memories of a Jean Werner, who claimed to have been sexually abused at her Catholic school. The slant of the film leaves the viewer in no doubt these claims are to be believed. In stark contrast, the 2021 documentary Buried examines Eileen Franklin's recovered memories of her abusive father committing two murders. With DNA evidence firmly exonerating him from the second murder, the viewer is left in little doubt these memories are false, probably induced through hypnotic regression. Memory experts insist this is easy to accomplish in a substantial percentage of the population. They routinely implant, more innocuous, false memories into the minds of study volunteers. Perhaps the most famous memory expert, Dr. Elizabeth Loftus, contends that therapists have inadvertently created an epidemic of false memories of childhood sexual abuse with numbers running into the millions. David Icke firmly rejects this, contending the vast number of people he met couldn't possibly all be suffering of false memories. I should point out this went beyond the MKUltra program. David was encountering adults with recovered memories of childhood satanic ritual abuse too. I'll say a little bit more about this in the next episode. Whether he's right about this or not, I think it's easy to understand his position. How many of us, when confronted by so many tragic stories, would be able to resist believing the victims? David also points out, quite correctly, the association between false memory advocates and paedophiles. The board of the False Memory Syndrome Foundation contained both advocates of paedophilia and doctors like Lewis Jolien West, who worked on the MK Ultra project. Elizabeth Loftus herself has testified for the defence at the trials of both Harvey Weinstein and Ghislaine Maxwell. I wouldn't conclude from this that the false memory paradigm is a scam, however. Irrespective of truth or falsehood, it is self-evident that sex abusers would be all over it. This is a huge subject, and what I'd like to explore in more depth, perhaps with interviews. For our purposes here, however, it's not important to resolve it only to understand that David Icke was won over by the recovered memory case, and why he was. The effect of all this is that David comes to see many of the world's political elite as utterly, utterly deceptive.
5: The thing is, Russell, that the world is not just a little bit not like we think it is. The world is nothing like we think it is. What we're seeing in the mainstream media is a movie. It is a movie to keep our minds occupied so the real agenda can go on behind it.
1: We may all think politicians are deceptive to some degree, but we also probably put limits on that deception, contending it is untenable beyond a certain point. People may tell lies, but it is hard to believe vast numbers of them craft lifelong, entirely false identities with no one talking. Or perhaps I'm being naive. Why we place limits on the capacity for human deception where we do is another interesting question. David Icke now essentially sees the world's elite as metaphorical reptilians, having a completely different inner consciousness as compared to their outer expression. That's an important stepping stone if you're going to see them as literal reptiles. And it is in I Am Me, I Am Free that this possibility is first raised, coming from Kathy O'Brien. We can hear her talk about it in her recent documentary,
6: my experience with George Bush was him doing a, a holographic image of turning into a lizard because um, it's an innate fear of reptiles that's been conditioned from so many generations within us that it's an MK Ultra mind control theme to say that it's reptilian in that regard.
1: In I Am Me, I Am Free, David raises the question. I'll quote, Kathy believes that holographic projections were used to give the appearance to her of people transforming into lizard-like aliens. This relates to the theme in some UFO and extraterrestrial research of a race known as reptilians operating on the planet. What if it was not a hologram that Kathy saw? What if these reptile-like extraterrestrials can manifest in human form? I know this sounds fantastic, but with each month that passes, I am more convinced by the weight of evidence that this is the case. I will expand on this in my next book. And that's where we'll go in the next episode, as we get into the biggest secret of them all. Thank you for listening. I'll link to the books I've drawn on for this episode in the info box, along with details of how you can support this show and join the online forum and Zoom groups.